Live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. Another addition to my uh, drunky McDrunkerson collection. Lettuce is a fine topping if you have got like nine things. Don't waste one of your three on lettuce. Both of you probably could use a salad. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. Wild and crazy Thursday. Silver 7s is the site. It's our Thursday home. ESPN Las Vegas on the road. Adam Hill, Cofield, here for three hours. Boy, today's going to be nuts. This morning was wacky. We got more VGK stuff to get to, certainly some Raiders. But believe it or not, on May 19th, heavy day for college football. In about 15 minutes, we're going to talk to one of the all-time great UNLV Rebels, wide receiver, Ryan Wolf, former wide receiver. Ryan Wolf, not on the team anymore, but he's going into the UNLV Athletics Hall of Fame, Adam, this weekend. So a very cool ceremony on Saturday. Jed's down here. Adam Hill is the Adam, because we have another Adam, Adam Candy, Adam Hill is the company let's do it it's the three on cofield and company you know i had a bunch of stuff lined up to hit before the news of the day and that's saving against jimbo saving finally lost it but i gotta throw this in here because i feel like there's another three two one explosion coming you and i have been talking about the story for the last three weeks because i think this this whining I'll watch my language. This whining by the coaches is annoying. Did you see in the last 15 minutes that Pittsburgh wide receiver Jordan Addison has committed to Southern Southern Cal, USC. USC. And before, you will have the floor on all this stuff for much of the show. But I'm going to mention this. So USC, I think, now has 18 transfers in. Lincoln Rally was bought by USC from Oklahoma. They are going out and aggressively pursuing players in the portal, and they're setting up NIL deals, which, by the way, lots of schools are doing it. Um, I just saw Boise basketball just got back, Marcus Shaver, with the announcement that he's back, here is two NIL deals, right? So this is happening. But what's happening, Adam, is it's different state by state because of state law, and there were certain legislators in certain states that are like, can't let the kids get too much. Hey, if that's the way you want to do this, then let's do it that way, because what you've done is you've set up Saban to now piss and moan because he's got some limitations on the front end. This is what I propose, because I love that USC is going out and grabbing players. To me, this system in college football has always been rigged, and you and I have talked about this, and I've said many times, I don't understand why the state of Nevada is on the outside looking in when it comes to the BCS, why we're group of five with our two schools, and somehow grandfathered in our states like Alabama, Tennessee, Iowa. Screw that. This is the way to equalize the system. Pass the most aggressive laws, pro-NIL, where schools can go and buy players. And by the way, before NIL, Gonzaga and Oregon both bought themselves a spot at the table. Gonzaga for basketball, Oregon for both. So this has already been going on. But I, I think I think state legislators should legislators should get involved in this, and this should be one of the most important things. Pass aggressive laws, basically saying, hey, there's no limits on what schools can do to go grab players. Let's do this. Let's get our piece of the pie. Why should Ole Miss and Mississippi State actually have a chance 
to compete to get into a Final Four or a future playoff. And we're on the outside looking in. You guys wanted to play the money game? Let's do it. Let's play the money game. I, I, I would I would love it if that's true. I just don't I, – I think – the Nevada schools are going to be the ones on the outside looking in, which is not why, because which is of legislation. Sh- because which, where where is the the booster base? There's plenty of money here. I don't know about Reno. Actually, I'll go even further. I'll go even further. Right? Let's do this. Let's get more aggressive. You want NIL money? You've got all these utilities, right, that are tied to the state in some form or fashion, right? They all have advertising budgets. Why isn't Nevada Energy? Why isn't SNWA, the LVCVA, which has a gigantic budget? We should be using state money to buy the players. Because here's the thing. It's an investment in a system that's already rigged where we're on the outside. Right? It's in our own interest to stop pissing away money to make up for athletic shortfalls at our schools. Do you think Alabama has any issues at their school in terms of funding? Do they have to turn to the state and go, uh, you know, and I'm not ripping on Reno and UNLV. It's the situation we're in because we have no chance as a state at the tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions coming in their rig system. So let's do it. Those states want to be restrictive with players and not cut them in on the money. We should go the extra level and funded from the freaking state level because money spent is going to be potential money made back. You would hope so. I, I don't know if there's guarantees that that's true. I would hope so. I, and I would, I mean, right now, there's a, right now there's a guarantee. There's always going to be a shortfall with both schools in the athletic department where the state is going to have to back them up. And in, and frankly, I mean, you're talking about some piss poor states, but you're suggesting that are in, that are in on their rig but, system. But you're also suggesting taking more money and throwing it at, you're saying it's guaranteed we're going to lose money, and then we're going to throw more money at it in hopes that we're going to lose less money. Like no, you no, might you, lose even more money. Like I, again, I'm with you. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying think, to throw this Gonzaga, down. You think Gonzaga has benefited from spending its way to a seat at the table in the last 15 years? Yes. Yeah. Sure. Private institution, a little bit different. Very different. But I, to me, folks in the West, and you know, it doesn't if you know whatever. If uh, Idaho dumbasses want to be all high and mighty and not include their kids, and although I just said I just told you five minutes ago, Boise's super aggressive. Each time uh, a guy's coming back, they're announcing new deals for him. It's, I mean, I guarantee they, they've – I know they're not supposed to – the school and NIL is really not supposed to be tied together, but I will right. guarantee you behind the scenes that if they want – one of their guys who you know is in that NBA kind of you know bubble range right now – by the way, Orlando Robinson, local from Vegas, is staying in the NBA draft. But I will guarantee you there someone around the Boise program at least is in convo with ACOT, like, hey, if you don't go to the NBA, I know you're in the portal – but, hey, here's a reason to come back. Here's some monies. we got, we got to start, instead of being like the ass at, at Pittsburgh or Nick Saban and whining about it, and believe me, we'll get to the, the, the real sinister stuff about what Saban's trying to do. We need to be hyper-aggressive. Here's the system. Here are the loopholes. There are no guardrails. You're not part of the big money. Try to get in. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm with you in principle. There's no question. I'm not, I'm not debating it in principle. I have thought from the beginning, and part of what we've talked about on this is that we are going to be among the communities and the schools that are negatively impacted by this in terms of players are going to get bought away. And I don't know where the base of money is to, you know, to bring guys in. I don't know if it does it benefit does it benefit a big casino company to to pay for players to come to UNLV when 
they're more tied in with the pro the, the NFL teams and the and, and the NHL team than they are with a college team, and they don't necessarily want people going to college games off the strip. I, I don't know if it is or not. I, I feel like it's probably not. So I, I feel like we're going to be left behind by this arms deal in sports, and that's what I talked about with this in the beginning. Like, this is going to result. You're right that this is going to result in there's there's like 10 programs that are competing at a high Actually, level. Actually, I, I look at it a different way. I think a lot more people have an opportunity to buy their way to the table because there are states that are restrictive with their laws. Um, I mean, they're still doing it. Um, here's Saban thinking there's no cameras, that it's a you know it's a friendly crowd, and he decides just to go unhinged, and he's already been hinting at it with Texas A&M, and he goes out and smashes Texas A&M that they're cheating, we're not. I mean, we were second in recruiting last year. A&M was first. A&M bought every player on their team, made a deal for name, image, and likeness. All right, we didn't buy one player, all right? But I don't know if we're going to be able to sustain that in the future because more and more people are doing it. What a bunch of crapola. Every time Nick Saban has complained about where college football is going and that I don't think we can keep up, and I'm telling you, there's like five documented cases. They kept up. They adjusted. This is nonsense, and frankly, we'll hear from Fisher later on. He's, he's full of crap as well, but that is... Another one of these coaches who is unhappy that he's getting a lot more competition based on a system that they've had beneath the surface. And what is the difference? What is the difference if NIL is set up for players when they're coming in, right, before they get there, or Bryce Young gets a million and a half dollars once he's there? And the discussion about what Bryce Young was going to get, I will guarantee you started in the recruitment process. This is it's – all, it's all a presentation deal. Do we announce that they're getting NIL before they're here or when they first get here? That's it's, it's the only difference. Yeah, and that that is the rule. Like, tech, so people are aware of this. Like, there is a rule that you can't say, "Hey, here's this money for coming." Rule, here. By the way, a rule from who? But I thought it was the NCAA rule. Is anyone following the NCAA? Well, what I'm saying and then is, the NCAA can't enforce anything saying, because, think, because most of their need, rules are not legal. Of course, there's never been rules, but I, I think. What I'm saying is this is the basis for where this argument is, that what Nick Saban is saying is guys come here and there are deals tied into playing here and they're going to get the money. What other schools are doing is saying, here's the money to come here, which that's a very, very gray area, but that's the distinction that he's trying to make of there is rules and these other schools aren't following them. Yeah. He's full of it, obviously, but I just want to make clear that's where the basis of this is. But this that technically you can't pay a guy just to come to the school right now. But right, but you 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 technically you couldn't cheat. But Texas A&M back in the day also gave Eric Dickerson a Trans Am, to yeah. which he responded by going, "I'm committing to SMU, and I'm keeping the car." And they're giving me more. And and he I don't know if he ever said they're giving me more, but he kept the freaking car. Well, we know that's what happened though. Of and course, then SMU got right. Massively oh, punished. Oh, the crazy changes now. Eric Dickerson is 60 years old. This ain't yesterday. This, it all, this, all, all this is, it's now come to the surface, and then the best part about it is you see, once again, guys who talk about discipline. Discipline, right, and hard work to overcome obstacles. They are freaking out and acting like they're 13 years old. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. I am gobsmacked by what he said, not because I haven't heard him insinuate that privately, but for Nick Saban, the greatest coach of all time, to go public 
and accuse one of his biggest rivals of essentially cheating, although that's open for interpretation, is really stunning. Uh, he has insinuated this in the past, but one thing you have to remember about Nick Saban, he always is complimentary toward everyone else, even even when you know it's passive aggressive. But this was a, this was way off script. It's, he's been leading toward this for some time, but uh, that uh, volcano erupted last night. Now back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver Sevens with Cofield and Company. I love it. Love college football. Love that Nick Saban believes he's the czar of college football, and now he just opened up a can of worms. You know, in a lot of ways, it's almost like what Pat Bev did to CP3, where other players are like, bro, you really want to do this? <laughs> and I wonder around college football, especially with former players who were recruited by Alabama and didn't go there under Saban, what if there's a flood of players who are like, yeah, I got offered this? Well, I mean, we could just have, you know, tattletales all over the place around college football. But, yeah, Nick Saban with some uh, mighty gigantic-sized uh, cojones calling others onto the carpet for acquiring players as he's a legend. Let's talk a little college football. Let's talk some UNLV football. Talk to a guy who played the game. One of the all-time great players at wide receiver for the Rebels, Ryan Wolf, is in with Cofield and company, Adam and Steve here. Ryan, how are you? Good, good. How are you guys doing? Fired up. Uh, <laughs> we, we love college <laughs> football, and um, I, I, I love that the coaches are going at it. I don't know how much of it this you followed, but it's uh, – it's pretty crazy, this NIL thing, and how frustrated coaches are getting that they don't really have a grasp on what the hell's going on. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, you guys know a lot more about this than I do, but, I mean, it's kind of cool that anytime you can kind of see a peek behind the curtain and and actually hear what it seems like his true feelings are that he's trying to keep bottled in for this long. It, for- it's it's going to be fun to, to see what occurs after this. Oh, for sure, no question. It's it's, it's only going to get better from here. I just I just wonder, you know, a guy that played uh, when you did, you know, f- you know, ten to fifteen years ago, back in that range. Like, what would have meant to you just to have, you know, some money coming in while you're in college, and just ha- to have that kind of a, a little bit of you know, little boost while you're on campus. I a little boost I think would be would go a long way, um, but I could not imagine being an eighteen, nineteen year old kid going into college having a million dollars in my bank account. I think that's where it kind of gets out of control and you can, it can kind of probably lead you in some directions you you shouldn't be going. But uh, I, I think a little bit of help would have got, would have been awesome 10, 15 years ago when I'm living off of $1,300 stipend check every month just trying to figure out which, uh, which kind of flavor of peanut butter and jelly sandwich I want to eat at the end of the month when that money runs out. Wait, what is what is the best combination of what's the best jelly for a peanut butter and jelly? That's important. Yeah, so me, I, it's definitely the squeezable jelly. It's, got, it's convenient over the spread. You know, it's got a. It's, you still get the the flavor, but you don't have to worry about the mess of dipping your peanut butter knife into a jelly container. Good. That's. I think that's a solid answer. Uh, as long as it's not the <laughs> peanut butter and jelly in the same jar, that's a mess. Oh, that's the worst. Yeah, it's a disaster. So we're talking about this, you know, all week with uh, with uh, several athletes going into the UNLV Hall of Fame, which is very, very cool. Uh, what is your, you know, what are some of your best memories, and what are some of the takeaways that you have from your career at UNLV? I mean, other than just the the natural camaraderie of the team, um, just having 
50 to 60 of my best friends in the locker room every day, grinding, trying to get better, working towards a common goal. Um, all the Reno games still kind of like being in the forefront of my brain uh, each and each and every other week, maybe. Uh, just the fact that we weren't able to, to get a victory, but somehow I always seemed to play really well in those games. Um, the Arizona State game when I was a, a sophomore, when we went in there in a Tempe and upset a top 20 ASU squad, that's probably one of my most fun games that I've played. But just in general, now being able to look back and kind of enjoy some of the, of the memories that maybe kind of were a little fleeting over the years. Which guys do you keep in touch with from uh, that era? I don't know if you're in touch with Frank the Tank, but obviously, you know, you, when you bring up Arizona State, uh, think of him immediately. But uh, you still friends with some of the guys? Yeah, I, I, I see Frank every once in a while. He's around town. Um, Casey Flair, I've, I mean, that's probably my, that's my golf buddy where, like, every other weekend I run into him. I was actually with him, like, a couple days ago. Uh, Philip Payne, when we're talking about the ASU game, yeah. I'm still in contact with him. Um, good amount of that, that squad I still kind of reach out to and, especially for those guys who are still in Vegas with me still sticking around in Vegas. We kind of try and see each other as much as possible. It's the voice of Ryan Wolf going into the UNLV Athletics Hall of Fame, first class in a while. It's a ceremony coming up at the Sturt View Pavilion on Saturday. Coming out of high school, who, who else were you recruited by? Who else were you offered by? Um, so recruited uh, Fresno State as a safety. Um, Hawaii came in late as a receiver. And then uh, UNLV was actually my only offer coming out of wow. high school. And that, and that happened kind of at the, the 12th or 11th hour. Uh, Gary Bernardi, who was the recruiting coordinator at that time, just got the job at UNLV. And I've known him almost my whole life. So I was kind of very lucky for the timing of him getting to UNLV. I think he, he really had to stick his neck out on the line just for me to get that one offer. And I'm very thankful for the opportunity, for sure. How are you so good right out of the gates because it's pretty rare for a freshman receiver to come in and grab 55 catches. Yeah. Um, I think a, a little bit of luck and a lot of hard work. Um, I lucked out. Well, at the time, I thought I was kind of getting gypped. I was, I was offered a gray shirt um, uh, scholarship, meaning I wasn't going to come right in out of high school. I had to take a semester off, and then my scholarship would be available. I reported January uh, 2006. Uh, went through all the winter conditioning, all of spring ball, and then I started my actual first training camp as a freshman. So I think that time off really helped me develop, helped me find out where the weight room was. Um, I just was able to kind of concentrate on just getting better and just trying to figure out how I was going to line up on the field in the correct spot. And, and you look back on the last two years under Sanford, you know, the, the goal here is always, hey, just get to a bowl game, and it's – you know, it's been mostly elusive aside from the one year with uh, Bobby Houck. You guys had a couple of five and seven seasons. I was looking back, and, I mean, so many close games along the way. Like, how close did you guys think you were in those last two years to, you know, breaking through and getting six, seven, eight wins? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the most painful, even, like, thinking about it now just kind of irks me, but that San Diego State game we played at the very last, as the last game of the year, I think they had only won one game. and If we would have won, it was looking like we're going to the Hawaii Bowl. Um, so I think we kind of got a little over our skis in, the, in that moment and kind of looked a little too far forward. But even just being in the running and having putting up a five-win season was exciting. Obviously not at all what any of us would have liked. But, um, yeah, it, 
we had talent for sure. We just one or two games here or there. We just we just couldn't put it together. Obviously, you had a ton of success as a receiver, almost 300 catches, 3,500 yards, the 15 touchdowns. But I feel like I feel like I remember you throwing a touchdown pass. That has to be up among the top <laughs> memories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And speaking of Casey Flair, he, he owes me one because I threw him that touchdown pass instead of <laughs> running it myself. But, yeah, I think it was against Wyoming my sophomore year. We ran a, like a swing pass, double pass, um, which – tends to, to work out in my favor. I think I've, I've thrown a couple of those in my, in my career before that. You, uh, I, I, I feel like I remember, and I'll correct me if I'm wrong, I think you overlap with Shane Steichen a little bit uh, here at UNLV. And I just wondered if you if you saw the, the brain on him in terms of a football mind where he would succeed the way he has as a coach. Oh, yeah, from day one. I mean, he was, a, he was uh, the quarterback with Rocky Hines my freshman year. Um, so when Rocky had went down in like the second or I think it was the second or third game at Iowa State, and he came in, um, you could just tell that he was always going to be prepared. I mean, that guy could not stop talking about football. I mean, the first day I saw him, we were doing like preseason, just throwing routes at the speed. And after about thirty minutes, he kind of came up to me. And he put his arm around. He's like, "Hey, dude, I think you're really gonna be good at this game. Like, you keep working hard, uh, study what you need to study, and you'll be a freshman All-American." And I'm looking at him like, "You're crazy, man. I'm just trying to get on the field at this point." But he had, he had called it. He called it really early, and flashed six, seven months later as a freshman All-American. Ryan Wolf with us going into the UNLV Hall of Fame wide receiver, uh, 2005 to uh, 2009. You did get signed by the Falcons. What was uh? the NFL experience like even if it was brief what was the experience like now that I'm, I'm out of it I can I can appreciate it in the moment is like obviously one of the most stressful times of my life but it, it was an awesome opportunity I loved Atlanta it was really cool to get to a different part of the city um, lining up in, in in routes on air against Tony Gonzalez is, is never a bad time so uh, now looking back, I, I really appreciated that time, and it, it's really awesome. If you were coming out now, you, you put up all these numbers, uh, you get signed as a UDFA by the NFL, you don't make it. Would you would you have kept trying, uh, you know, for another two or three years, especially with you know the USFL out there, the uh, you know the arena? Well, the arena league was around back then too, but the arena league seems to be doing well. The XFL is on the way. Like, did would you have had a hunger with more opportunities to try it for three or four years? I don't know if, it, if the hunger would have been more. I just think that there would have been more opportunities for me to land somewhere. Um, I, I still, even after I was cut, I, I, I tried my butt off. I was still training for about a year and a half after I had some tryouts. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember that I was around like the lockout year at the NFL. So I wasn't able to do much for an, an entire year. So I think the opportunities now, I think, would have been more prominent so i probably would have had a better chance landing somewhere but i mean the effort would have always been the same so ryan tell people what you're doing now uh currently still residing in las vegas uh, they can't really get rid of me i, I love this city <laughs> love this community uh i work in medical sales uh sports med uh with smith and nephew so still kind of staying close to the sports game uh, still trying to be a grown-up at the same time
There you go. How, how soon, like after arriving here on campus, and I know being at UNLV is different than kind of being in the community as a whole, but how quickly did you know like Las Vegas is going to be a place you wanted to be for a long time? Uh, I didn't know until after. Okay. I mean, I, I always had planned to be here long enough to get my degree, and then I was going to go somewhere else. Um, but after leaving here, I moved back home to Southern California, realized real quick that that was not where I wanted to be, and then came back to Vegas, and, and things just kind of fell in, fell in place for me, and, and I learned to, to love everything that Vegas has to, to offer. Well, congrats on this. It's a really cool honor, and we're glad you're doing well, and thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Anytime. There you go. Ryan Wolf, former Rebel receiver, one of the best I've ever had. Had an unbelievable career, and again, another one of those guys who was on those teams, like really, really close to breaking through, really close. You look back at the ledger, so many close games, but had a tremendous career, and then got a cup of coffee in the National Football League. We'll get back to Saban v. Uh, Jimbo. Also, roll in the story that involves Deion Sanders. In about 10 minutes, we're going to talk to Xavier Pope. Sign up for an A-Play card and unlock some great food specials at the Sterling Spoon Cafe at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. It's paining me to say this, but what Jimmy Butler is doing offensively is competing with what Steph is doing offensively and what Jimmy Butler is bringing defensively. Who else is doing that? Who else is dominating on ball as well as off the ball? He's able to be in two places at one time. I mean, you watch the third quarter. He wasn't guarding his man, but he his man he knew where his man was. I mean, steal after steal is just putting his stamp on the game. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens, it's Cofield and Company. Jimmy Butler is awesome. Celtics will be healthier tonight. It doesn't mean they're completely healthy, but Horford back. Marcus Smart back. Uh, you hear the Jimmy Butler talk there. I don't know if I'm ready to put Butler. I mean, I guess his point is right. Butler is a better player than Steph. It's just that Steph is so good offensively. It's hard you know, to mention anyone in the same breath. He didn't have to dominate yesterday, Steph, but they played good enough defense, and we had mentioned it uh, on Cofield and Company that you know Andrew Wiggins has turned into a guy who can basically cover at least three positions, if not four, and at 6'7", six, 6'8", six, he can cover point guards, and you know Luka's a pain in the ass of a matchup at 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. Wiggins can cover him, so Luka was okay, but not great, and he has to be great for them to win. Well, he was much better in the first half than the second. It's pretty clear they wore him down. That's going to be the plan. I think it helped that they had just played a game seven, had, you know, really had a grind of a series against the Suns, and it enabled them to wear him down quicker, but that's going to be the plan. I mean, the, the Warriors changed defenders the first four possessions on Luka. They're just going to wear him down with different looks, make him figure it out every possession, and that extends the possession offensively, makes him work harder on offense against the different guys, and then they're targeting him defensively uh, because he's a cone, uh, just like Chris Paul is, and they're going to wear him down defensively. And this is going to be the plan. You're going to have to play both ends wow. of the floor, and you're going to be exhausted by the second half, and if your face gets scratched, which obviously a ridiculous non-call there, but if your face gets scratched, oh, well, so be it. They're just going to wear you down. Uh, it's going to get ugly for Dallas against my dogs. I'm shocked with your uh, unbridled love of the Warriors that you would actually mention the scratch. And you would call Steph Curry... A cone. What's wrong with you? Long time. No, I'm called Luca a cone. Oh, okay. I thought you were calling Steph a cone. No, Luca. Um, so it was easy for you last night. I know you sweat all these games. Go back years. Rocking and years, chair game. Years and years and years. Golden State fan. He gets very nervous. 
Well, I wouldn't. Uh, how about that? I wouldn't send the text. Well, I have a group text of you know of a lot of family in the Bay Area, and we have a group text about the Warriors. And I would not send a "We're up one nothing" until literally it took tick to zero zero. So I was ridiculous. nervous till the very end. Don't don't they just wear up one nothing? Don't they just, like who are you? No, who is this? No, I got them on who board. Who this? Whatever. When I would live, when I lived up there, I got them on board. Oh my god, you're the worst. Year one with the Warriors with the with the terrible with the new arena with nothing around uh, it, the, the terrible one, roster. The one year they're down, you jump on board yeah. with with no upside. I you didn't know, know what's coming. Steph and Clay back. Who uh, knew those you know, guys? I didn't even know who those guys coming, were coming back off injuries. Never heard of those guys. You're completely ridiculous. I was more of a, a Pascal guy. We've got Hoopage in town tonight. Ace is at home against the Lynx. It's right here on ESPN Las Vegas. All the home games are here on radio on ESPN Las Vegas, 630 with the pregame. And tonight they're honoring Bill Lambeer, uh, retirement for all he's done in the WNBA. And one of the great promotions they have, it's actually uh, $1 Lambeer night at the MUA at Make Ultra Arena. So take advantage of that. Good Aces basketball, great team so far, 4-1, Bill Lamb Beer Night. Uh, get out there live at Mandalay Bay starting at 7 o'clock with a tip. Lawyer, host of Suit Up News, legal and cultural contributor Xavier Pope is live on Cofield & Company. Thursday live, Silver 7th. Let's get to our weekly conversation with attorney out of Chicago, host of Suit Up News, Xavier Pope. Your life has been wild up on Twitter. Did you run into some trouble at a local grocery store with the uh, Yoga Pants Mafia? We know the Yoga Pants Mafia goes to Whole Foods <laughs> and, and, and gets all their their, their wares, um, unlike like, like I don't myself. The pandemic happened, hot bars and salad bars were closed. Well, now they're open again. Oh, yeah. And I was tempted to get something from Whole Foods salad bar or hot bar, and I just saw how people were ravaging and tasting and... <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, I can't do this. And I just walked out and I went to Speaker and got a salad. Um, Whole Foods is amazing, but the hot salad bar, I'm just not there yet, Steve. Instead of coming out of COVID and all the lockdown and all the safety stuff, like even safer and carrying on the good habits that we develop, we've we've actually gone back to being bigger animals when we're out in public and around people. It's it's pretty funny. Um, Well, let's talk about decorum and uh, getting a little aggressive when it comes to the NBA Man, people are all over the place on the Pat Bev, Pat Beverly against CP3. A lot of the players are pissed off. I know Matt Barnes has gone in on them. I mean, I appreciate the honesty. I think it's highly entertaining. Do you like what's going on between these guys? It's it's first take. It's sports talk radio. You're supposed to be loud. You're supposed to be – even if you're wrong, you can be loud in sports talk. And so Pat Bev, I mean, the guy acts like a walking version of sports talk radio on the court. I mean, he's – He's the perfect example of a first take type of guy who's to come on air and says ridiculous things and it's entertaining. I mean, that's just who he is. And I'm not going to diss the guy because he's from the West Side of Chicago, where I'm from. But I think that he was wrong on so many fronts. And I think that some of the things he said about CP3 were totally uncalled for, particularly that Chris Paul is the Hall of Famer at the end of his career. And, and Pat Bev will never even sniff the Hall of Fame, although he's one of the better defensive players in the NBA. Matt Barnes, who who's talked his own crap about other players, mm-hmm. tries to be button-up professional when he gets on ESPN, <laughs> but he wasn't like that when he was on his own show independently of ESPN. So I think that all those different things play into it. Matt Barnes being a little bit of a hypocrite for attacking Pat Bev. I mean, so he's had his own share of how his, his antics have played out as well. So it's entertaining. People like it. I mean, that's what it's, that's what the name of the game is all about. Well, it's for the audience. And what we're seeing now, 
is ESPN try out some more former players like right after their career or right at the end of their career. So I think Pat Beverly is entertaining. I think J.J. Redick has been great, you know, going at uh, Mad Dog a couple weeks ago. And, you know, even Steve – I've never seen Stephen A. just sit there and take it. He kind of has to take it now because it's a guy who played the game. But it also – it gets back to that whole discussion about the kind of money they're paying ex-players, like Tom Brady at the peak at $37 million and, you know, Troy Aikman's making $18 million. And by the way, Drew Brees, I think, just lost his job at NBC because in his one-year tryout, they were like, yeah, you don't really say anything, dude. Sorry, this isn't up to snuff for this kind of money. Drew Brees would sit on set and not say a word until he was pressed to say something. Um, TV is just not his medium. And certain guys, you know, are really good on TV, love the camera in front of them. All the guys that you saw, who were really great in interviews in the locker room and press conferences, all those guys are great on TV. Yep. You never saw – I can't think of any memorable thing that Chris Drew Brees ever said in well, a press Here's conference. the thing. Exactly. You're getting you're getting to the core. If And this is where Brady's challenge is because Brady was always, you know, Belichickified, right? That, that's the whole thing. If, if you are a PC guy like Brees, most of your career are a nice guy, and there's nothing wrong with that, although he, you know, he's obviously stepped in it when he made his comments about his family – you know, respecting the flag because they served in the military. But, like, I don't know that that's going to work anymore in this era where they're paying big money. And I cut you off. Continue. You, know, like, you cannot be boring and PC. There's no line that you need to walk when you're an analyst. Well, I think that Drew Brees might be great in terms of being in the booth, breaking down games. Being in a studio might be the wrong format for him. I think that Tom Brady is going to be great in the booth. I, I think that – He's one of these guys. You see him on Twitter. You see his, inter- his interactions. You you see him how he plays the different commercials. Like he is made for this. I think that Tom Brady is going to be excellent. Yep. And he's a hyper competitive dude. He wants to be the best that ever been in the booth. And I think that we are. He's going to earn every single penny of that thirty-seven million bucks. Well, I think you mentioned something else. And by by the way, I know we talked about this last week, but I'll repeat it. All of the media jealousy and other player jealousy. Uh, about Brady and the money he's going to get is complete. Is 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 really an ugly look. I just think it's silly. Um, and to justify all that money, Brady's going to be a complete you know media entity. Uh, I think he's going to be part of what Fox does in terms of betting. I think he's going to be one of the faces of that. Mm-hmm. And you just mentioned the other important thing. There are so many um, analysts um, and big time football guys who kind of just disappear for five days during the week during the season. Like where are you? There's stuff going on every day. And I think Brady is smart enough with his brand that he's going to want to build that up. And, I mean, in the end, this is all about amassing wealth. And, you know, eventually uh, he's going to be the richest guy who's ever played football, you know, combined with all the money his wife has made and, and will make. And he'll, if he wants, he'll, who knows what he'll do. He could, he could be the, he'll be back-end ownership of a sports book or he could, he could buy a team. I mean, it's, I can't wait to see uh, what Brady is at, like, 55 or 60. Brady's hand is in everything. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, remember, Tony Romo – People said he will be the next uh, John Madden. But look at John Madden. John Madden's hands were in so much stuff outside the game of football in addition to him being in the booth. We're seeing a lot of those different things that's that's coming from Tom Brady as well. So I think that's just going to continue the lineage of guys who know it's how do you market and sell yourself and your brand. Shaq does the same thing. Barkley does the same thing. Uh, Kenny Smith does the same thing. That's why these guys stay on TV. Yeah. And in the end, I think it's about being relatable, and that's why I think some of the football announcers are going to uh, fade away or you know get pushed to like the fourth or fifth or sixth team. I still don't get the whole uh, Kirk Herbstreit doing the NFL and how he's relatable at all. I've never thought he was relatable. Um, I think he believes he's above the players and above the game, and I don't know how that's going to go over. 
in the National Football League. Xavier Pope is with us as we uh, break down a, a bunch of different stuff. We'll get to a couple of legal stories, but uh, life in general. He's a uh, cultural contributor to Cofield and Company. All right, this this is a wild story. There's so many layers to Nick Saban goes in front of a crowd. He goes unplugged, except there is nowhere. There's no video, right? There's always someone who's rolling video, and he basically attacks Texas A&M by name, saying they've paid a bunch of their recruits. He's complaining about NIL and how out of control things are. Then he drops a bomb on Deion Sanders. So just the general look and sound of what Saban was saying, what do you think? I think that Nick Saban sounds like a narcissist. Uh, and you look at the program in Alabama uh, and how that program is, has been built and continues to be built in the middle of Alabama. <laughs> I, I think it's clear that Nick Saban – has done some things that he's probably upset that other <laughs> coaches, other institutions are doing. And he, he wants to be able to hold the monopoly over running college football. And he just lost. Sorry, bud. It doesn't work like that. You can't hold college football hostage to you being the king of college football. He wants to be the king. And every, every, team in the SEC like a Texas A&M and any HBCU because now players are going to go to the HBCUs to be able to hold court for him to be able to be to reign over college football nah bro that's not how it works it was a bad look for Saban it showed him uh, the side of him that we all know really exists uh, being this pretty much arrogant college coach who thinks he's running the whole entire game Believe me, I feel his pain. I try to stuff down uh, the fact that I'm a horse's ass every day and control myself. And every once in a while, you lose control. And that, and the, so that was the, the true Nick Saban, like over the top, like you said, narcissist, super competitive. In sports radio, when we talk to attorneys, Xavier, we always love to throw out defamation. And I know it's almost impossible to prove. Is there anything here from like Jimbo Fisher, uh, Deion Sanders, um, the kids? Hey, hey, bro, you know what? Bring some evidence. I don't want to be attached to cheating. Can, yeah. Could could there actually be defamation here with Nick Saban for anybody? Well, one of the one of the elements of defamation is there has to be damages proved. So even if he defamed uh, Deion uh, Deion Sanders or any uh, his son or or any player that came to the school, if if he defamed Texas A and M, well, there has to have to be real world damages to Texas A and M or Jackson State or Deion Sanders or any of the players. Uh, to be able to bring effectuate any paying of any, any 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 suit, so it's not just you have to prove the claim; you also have to get paid from it as well. And I don't see any damages that are currently there. But I think that maybe Nick Saban wants to inflict those damages, and that's the harrowing part of the story right now. So I, I think one of the big parts of the story that's going to get it's it'll be in the backdrop here for another day or so while we sort out Saban and Jimbo Fisher is the Deion Sanders part because essentially what. Saban suggested is no elite black player would ever go to an HBCU unless they're getting paid big dollars. Highly insulting. It's extremely insulting and it's racist, frankly. Uh, I think that that's what a lot of people are pretty much are hinting to in terms of Nick Saban. I own I own the the major black players. These are these are my these are my boys. You don't get to take my boys from me, and I think it's disgusting. And the other backdrop of this whole thing is. NIL, right, which people fought forever. Hey, what's going to happen in the game when these kids get money? These are young guys. Can they control themselves with the money? 
The folks showing the lack of control are the adults once again in college football, the ones who are the teachers who are supposed to set the example. This is the way you do things. This is the way you handle adversity are coming freaking unraveled. Guess what? Because these athletes are men, they're not boys. And because they are the, they also are adults able to sign their own contracts. They're able to chart their own destiny. And guess, guess what? At some point, they're going to get together and they're going to collectively bargain because NCAA is not going to eventually stop that from happening. That's going to it, it. The old guard is changing. Alabama won't be the best college university in terms of their program in the next 10, 15 years. You may see an HBCU step up and be a powerhouse in college football. The landscape has completely changed. The big boys are upset about it, and they don't want to see it change. They want to keep their money. They want to keep their power. They want to keep all the donors that are helping fund their kids going to college and putting houses in different areas, their vacations and all of that, and they're scared to death. I love college football. Um, I think the kids should get played. I think they'll get some guardrails here. I'm not sure they're ha- how they're going to do it, but it'll all be okay in the end. I will tell you, I hope there is a real threat on the horizon. I'm very fired up that The Rock and the XFL signed a real TV deal with ESPN. I actually, I don't know if you uh, if you watch The Rock's football show on on HBO. You know that's been on for years and years and years. Ballers, um, but one wow, of the one of the ideas they presented towards the end of it was hey, you know what, why can't we actually have high school kids go right to pro football? And I would love the XFL to kind of get in that niche that uh, the G League and some academies have in basketball where there's a little bit of a threat like, hey, you know what, you guys can't get it together in college. The kid gets to go right to some sort of feeder program like the XFL to get ready for pro football. Let's do it. And I think that that's – the Rock's character in Ballers, he's basically living that out in real life. Uh, I, I think that – it's great to see it happen, but we're seeing the U.S. Hope is better than the USFL um, that has like five people in the stands. Um, the product isn't great at all. Uh, I, I, I mean, it's it's not really watchable football. Have you watched the USFL, Steve? No, because I turned it on a couple of times, and like you said, I don't know what what like mentally when you see no one there. You're like, what is this practice? Like, what's going on here? This doesn't even feel like a real game. And it might be a decent level of football, and I'm sure the guys are like right there below the NFL, but the presentation is terrible. It's absolutely terrible. You would think that, especially having a major television contract with USL, USFL has, you would they would block out portions of the stadium to show <laughs> yeah. that the place is empty. I mean, there isn't even there's no creativity in how to present the product at all. I mean, you think that also the USFL would partner with gaming in some kind of way to be able to make to, to bring in fans to the sport. There's no creativity. They just think they could just have a contract throw football on TV, and think people are going to watch it. It was just, it's, a, it's a massive mistake. And your suit-up news this week is about Buffalo? Yes, about Buffalo. The approaching from a lot of different angles because there's so many layers of that incident. I did not include uh, the what if Donald Trump had bought the uh, Buffalo Bills instead of uh, the family that wound up buying the Buffalo Bills for $1.6 billion. But uh, it's so many layers around this story that we can look at and how to learn how to be able to move forward as a society and understand what's actually going on. Not easy, but we'll close on a, a goofy note. Uh, did you see the story of the dude who's been going to uh, McDonald's for, what, 50 years, basically every day having at least one Big Mac? I, I'm jealous. I love it. The guy said he only missed eight days of eating Big Macs. <laughs> Eight days in 50 years? Yeah. That's some consistency. I mean, there's something to learn from that. Not necessarily eating McDonald's, 
But something to learn from this guy in terms of consistency. I mean, you don't. I mean, the special sauce. I mean, is it still special uh, after all that time? I think it's it's fascinating to eat Big Macs for fifty. Is there one? If you were forced to eat one thing every day as your main meal, could you pick? Is there one thing you could deal with every day? I do tacos every day. Okay. I mean, I do tacos every single day. Right. I think everyone eats tacos every day. Uh, I, 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 I think that would be the top of the list. Of most people would be eating tacos. Okay. Um, I saw some slander on your uh, on your handle on your Twitter handle at Xavier Pope about uh, Arby's, and I, I don't I don't get it, my friend. I don't get it. They have the meats. They're cheap. They're delicious. Um, they're somewhat nutritional. If you're trying to put on weight, what's the problem? <laughs> nutritional. You're trying to put on some weight. Yeah, it depends on what part you're trying to put it on. But um, I'm vegan, so I'm, I'm, I, they have the meats. Doesn't really spark me much. But I haven't eaten Arby since I was in college, yeah. and it's for good reason. I mean, that was food you ate when you were not sober <laughs> in college. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Suit Up News is out uh, in just a little bit, so that's dropping. So check out Xavier up on Twitter, and we appreciate it, my friend. That's right, man. Love you, man. Appreciate you. There he is, Xavier Pope, attorney out of Chicago. Five o'clock hours on the way. Oh, yeah, we're getting back to Saban versus the rest of college football, and especially Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M, as we'll have the reaction from the coach of the Aggies.